If you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Light is one of the most important aspects of our lives, right? If, I don't know if you've, I'm trying to think, we had just moved into the parsonage, so it was August or September of last year, a little over a year ago, and I think that was the last time for us that the power went out. Uh, a car hit a, a, a light pole or an electric pole, and we were at without power for the rest of that evening, and all of a sudden, when you have had light and then you don't have light, all of a sudden, you realize how much you depend on that light, Right? All of a sudden, you're like, okay, it's already dark outside. It was like 9 o'clock or something like that. And so it's where are the flashlights, where are the candles, uh, where are the things that we need? Because we, we need light to do everything we need, right? Everything at least, especially this time of year, because the sun sets around 5, 5.30, it starts getting dark. You know, it doesn't come until about 7. And we're still going. We need light. So we know how important light is to us, and that's why Jesus uses this idea of light, because if light is precious to us now, even when we can just flip a switch and it comes on, and uh, we don't have to question it most of the time, how much more important was light then when Jesus is talking about this concept of light? 2,000 years ago, when you had oil lamps, when you maybe had some form of candle, it was a pretty important thing. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it here in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 14, starting there, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is that you would help us to understand your word this morning, to grasp the fact that we are the light of the world if we are in Christ. Help us to understand what you've called us to. Help me this morning to, to communicate those facts well. May we understand it both with our mind as fully as we can and then with our hearts as fully as we can. Lord, may it change the way that we live. Would you be glorified also in making us light? Here in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is this. Our purpose as disciples, I'm sorry, and I switched this last minute because the Lord kind of gave it to me. I'm going to read it to you so it's not on there. I'll read it twice. Our purpose as disciples is to lead people to see that they don't see and to see what they have not yet seen. Okay, I'll tell you that one more time. Our purpose as disciples of Jesus is to lead people to see that they don't see and to see what they have not yet seen. So there's two aspects here. That they don't see, that, they, that, that people are in darkness and that they're missing something and they're going to see it hopefully because of us and that's Jesus. So our first point as we walk through these three verses is this. You are the light. So much about what has been happening in the Sermon on the Mount. In culture, we take it as, do this, do this, do this. And certainly, it is. It should be correcting and forming and molding the way that we operate as Christians. But see, Jesus doesn't say, go be the light. He says, you are the light. 
Now, this tells us something about the true Christian. Because the true Christian is going to be the light. The same way that we saw two weeks ago that the true Christian is salt. He doesn't go, say, go and be the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. By the very nature of who you are, you are having this preserving influence on the world. Because salt was that. It was, a preserve, it was valuable because it preserved things. Christians are salt, and Christians are then also light. Now, here's the thing. The identity of those things has to do with their essence. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you have something, you say, this is salt, and then you go, and it's not salt. It doesn't do what salt does. You would look at me and say, hey, that's not salt, right? And if I say, hey, this is light. Like, this, is light this is a light bulb, and it gives off light. And it doesn't give off light. You would say, well, that's not light. There can be no ambiguity about it, right? There's no confusion. Light is light. Salt is salt. So we are salt and we are light. He's saying this is what a true Christian is to be. Now certainly that means if you look at yourself, and I'm going to encourage us to do that here in a moment, if you look at yourself and say, well, I'm not being salt, and I'm not being light, well, there's two things you do. First of all, to ask yourself, okay, so am I in Christ? And if I have other things that are showing me that I'm in Christ, to say, so why haven't I been salt lately? Why haven't I been light lately? And hopefully it's just been lately. So Christians are salt and light. The first thing you are, though, we're talking about light now, is this, that we are light in a dark world. See, we don't know what light is until it's actually cast against darkness, right? If I were to take a flashlight, and we were all to go outside, and I got a flashlight, and it was like a really bright flashlight, right? I should have brought one and showed you um, this morning. That would have been helpful. But if we all went outside especially, it's even brighter out there than in here, you, right? And I turn on that flashlight. I'm going to say, okay, guys, you've got to see how bright this flashlight is. Like, it's a really good flashlight. And I turn it on. Are we going to be able to tell just how bright it is? No. Because, see, light is only good for something whenever it is contrasted to darkness. That's why we matter that we're light, because we are light in a world that is inherently dark. I don't mean just physically dark, right? Because the sun's up right now. You look outside and the world is bright. But spiritually, it is dark. Now, we are light in a dark world. Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 2, says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. There there are so many passages on darkness that I could take us everywhere. And we're going to go to some of those places. I don't want to go ahead and uh, just ruin the surprise of where we're going. So I'm going to read that one and just say we are light in a dark world. Before Christ, we are people who are walking around, though it's fully daylight outside, in darkness because of sin. Because the separation that we, as human beings, without Christ, that separation that we have from God, we don't see things as they truly are. But here's the deal. We are light in a dark world only, only because Jesus is the light. Matthew 4, 12 actually shows us that that Isaiah 9, 2 passage, he fulfills it. It says that he came and he fulfilled it. John 8, 12 says this of Jesus. 
I'll give you a moment just to flip over there. We also have it on the screen. And here's, while you're going there, just because it's on the screen does not mean that you don't need to bring your Bibles and flip around. Okay, if nothing else, it's good practice, right, to get where you're going. Now I hear those pages turning. I want you to see where it is, because here's the thing. Whenever you see that passage, you see it a few times, you start remembering where it is. And you're talking to somebody, and you're like, hey, you know, you're telling some, someone about how Jesus is light. And you're like, you know, I know it's in John somewhere. You start flipping, and all of a sudden, you're like, hey, I've been here before. And you see it, and it helps you find stuff. So, um, and also, don't take my word for it. You know, I, one day I may just slip in, like, a verse that's not really there in there just to see what y'all do. And I'll put it on the screen, and some of y'all better, like, jump up and be like, hold on now. John 8, 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's head towards the back of your Bible. It's one of Paul's letters. He says this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Hear that? It's not us that we're proclaiming. But Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, what we proclaim, what we bring to this world is not any wisdom that you have. It's not any goodness that you have. What we are doing, what we are proclaiming is the glory of the goodness of God. God says, let light shine out of darkness. And then he says, for God who said that, let light shine out of darkness, has shown himself into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what it means. You were in darkness. You had no clue what was going on spiritually. Then maybe you grew up and heard until that day where the Holy Spirit caused you to understand you were in darkness. But when God caused that light to shine into your heart, he gave you a knowledge of the glory of God where you were all about yourself and your own glory. He changed that and he caused you to see the glory of God in the face, he says, of Jesus Christ. We understand the fullness of God and his glory and what he did through Jesus by sending him to be our savior. So see, you are light, but here's why you are light, church. You are light for no other reason than this, that you are ones who are reflecting Christ. You are reflecting Christ. Every single one of us are made in the image of God, right? And we've talked about this before. There's, there's different aspects to what it means to be made in the image of God. But one thing that I talk about a lot is the fact that when you look at a mirror, a mirror is the image of you, right? What you're looking at there is the image of you, correct? But it's not you. It's the image of you, but it's not you, right? Because you're standing on the other side of that mirror. What you're looking at is something that looks like you. It shows you aspects of who you are. But that image in that mirror is 2D, and you're 3D, right? In the same way, we are aspects of God and who he is, but he is so much vast, more vast and grand in who he is. So we are mirrors of God, but here's the thing. Because of our sin, that mirror is smudged up, dirty, covered. But Christ comes and he cleans us up. As we begin to live like Christ, that mirror is getting wiped 
off. And the image of God is becoming clearer and clearer. And the light is reflecting more and more off of us into a watching world. So, church, you are the light. And the light that you are is not some special light that comes out of you because you're special. It is a light that comes from you reflecting who God is. What's the purpose, then, of that light? Because that's, that's a nice thought, right? We are the light of the world. And we get, we get in there and say, go home and be happy because you're the light of the world. But what does that actually mean? What is light for at the end of the day? Light is for what? Seeing, right? Good. Everybody got the right answer. Good. Light is for seeing. The reason we installed these lights here is to see better, right? And I hope that because of these lights, you can see better. Light is for the purpose of seeing. It takes that which is dark and it lights it up so that we can see what's really happening there. And some of y'all, before we got these lights, thought I was much better looking than I am. And then we got these lights and you're like, oh, I see what's really there now, right? Good. Well, Jesus gives us some specific illustrations when he talks about what it means that light is for seeing, okay? The first one is that of a city that is set on a hill. Now, a city, even in that time, was a place that has light, right? I'm backing up too much. A city is a place that has light, correct? Cities are brighter. I don't know if you've ever truly been somewhere that's dark, completely dark, Maybe you have if you've been out on the ocean in the Navy or just on a boat and you go way out deep into the ocean and all you have are stars, that's pretty dark, right? And if it's cloudy and there's no moon, it's really dark. The darkest that I've ever seen is out in the deserts of New Mexico and Arizona when we lived in Las Cruces. And there's times where we would go and we would drive and it would be so incredibly pitch black because we were... So far from any cities. Out here, it's like you go from one town to the next town to the next town, and there's all these houses in between and streetlights. But there, you could drive for a few hours and not get to a city if you go in the right direction. And to go out there and to see what it's like to truly have darkness is something that's just wild to see, and I hope that you can see it one day. But see, the reason we were able to go and pull off and get out of the car and look up and look around if it was cloudy and there was no moon and see true darkness is because we were far away from cities. Because cities are full of people, cities inherently have light, even at that time, right? He talks about the city that's on a hill. If you have a city that's on a hill and there's candles and lamps lighting it up, even from a far off way, you can see that. You can see what is happening. So, we're like a city sat on a hill, that is set up on a hill, where people can, should, should be able to see the light coming from it. At the same time, we are like a lamp, the case he talked about this morning. And so, because a light is made to be seen, you don't take a lamp and put it under a basket, right? First of all, because if you put it, maybe a basket has enough air flowing through it, but you put it under something, number one, it just won't shine enough light. It'll block it. And if there's not enough airflow, it's actually going to cause it to be put out. Right? See, we are to be like cities on a hill creating light. We would be like lamps that are not covered up, but instead are put up on a stand because something wild happens whenever you raise a light up. Right? The higher it goes, the brighter it makes the room. We are like that. We are made to be, hopefully, gladly lifted up to shine more light and to dispel the darkness. For so many of us, though, I'm afraid 
that for, for us, we, we forget what our main point was, that our purpose is to lead people to see that they don't see, right? To lead people to see that they don't actually, um, they're actually in darkness, and to see what they have not yet seen, which is God and His glory. Because see, for us, we often take and we put things over our light, right? We put our light over in the corner instead of up on a stand in the middle of the room where it can be seen, where it can shine to get to the corners and light up what is not yet seen. But here's the deal. People don't always enjoy that, right? Light's good to a point, but it depends on your relationship to light. Here's what I mean. Does anybody remember when you were a teenager and, and, and before maybe you were woken up by an alarm clock, who woke you up? Before you got out of the house and had an alarm clock wake you up, it was your mom and dad, right? And for some of you, if you're like me, your parents would come in and they might say, hey, honey, wake up. And I say it one time and you're like, mm, nah, nah. <laughs> and then what do they do? They flip on a light switch, right? Or they pull back the curtains and all of a sudden you see that light. And how do you feel about that light in that moment? Are you, are you happy about it? You're like, man, I'm glad that light's there to wake me up. You're like, turn that off, right? You cover your face with a pillow. You don't like it, right? For a lot of us, we get confused. Because for us, we, we are to, to bring light. And when we try to bring light to this world of darkness, to help people see what they've not seen yet, that Jesus is the only way to God, that he is the only Savior. When we shine that light... And it goes against, the, and they, they've been sleeping and going along in their own way. They don't like it. And maybe you remember for you, whenever you came to Christ, as the Spirit was convicting you and that light was starting to shine, you maybe didn't like it, right? People don't always enjoy it because, first of all, it wakes them up to something maybe, for a lot of people, sleeping is better than being awake, right? The other thing it does is whenever a light shines, it shows you the imperfections that you didn't see in no light, or the imperfections you didn't see whenever there was a little bit of light. The best example, and I even I hesitate to draw your attention to it, but someone came in the other day, and as they were walking through that door, they said, wow, we really need to touch up the paint on that. And they said, I guess it's because of that light. They said, I never really noticed before, right? That's what happens whenever you have brighter lights. All of a sudden, you see the things that you didn't see before. And now we're looking around, and everybody's like, don't, don't look right now. Um, <laughs> but you're looking around, and you're saying, you're saying uh, man, okay, there's a crack, and there's like this and that. There were things you didn't see before, and when a light is shown on it, you see the imperfections. You see the things that aren't the way they should be. And a lot of times, we don't like that, right? It can be kind of embarrassing when, you see, when a light shines on you, you say, don't see my imperfections. See, people don't always enjoy the fact that light is for seeing. But the command, even so, is this. Let your light shine. And we see this in verse 16. Let your light shine. Now, this should be just common sense, right? A light is meant for shining, not for covering up. But for so many of us, we don't want to let our light shine. We're hesitant about it because people bristle against it. They cover their faces, right, with the pillow. They um, run away and say, don't see my imperfections. Don't see the things that I'm doing wrong. But here's the deal. To cover a light is to make that light totally and 100% useless. Because that's what a light's for, right? Just like salt is for being salty. If salt's not salty, it has no point. Light that, or a, a source of light that doesn't give off light has no purpose. 
For that salt, then, it's thrown out and it's trampled underground, right? We don't even throw it in the yard because it'll mess up the grass. You throw it out in the pathway where it gets trampled. Well, a light bulb that doesn't work anymore, unless you're real crafting and do something cute with it, you throw it in the trash, right? It goes in the garbage. We are called, church, to let our light shine and to not be concerned about the fact that people maybe are going to have some concerns about it, are going to maybe not respond positively to it. Now, I'm going to put some parameters on that to help you understand that in a moment, I hope, what exactly we mean by let your light shine. But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 16, which is a long passage, and I did not put it up here, so you can go ahead and turn there. I want you to see this and follow along with me, but Ephesians 5, verses 5 through 16 says this. I'll wait. I still hear some pages. That's a nice sound. Love it. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Now I'll stop there to say this. Paul has certain reasons for giving those certain examples right there, but there's lots of places where Paul tells us the things that those who do these things and are about these things unrepentantly has no inheritance in the kingdom. So this is one spot where he tells it, but we can make a great big old list. So if you're like, hey, that doesn't cover me, um, I'll find a place to help you understand that for all of us, maybe before Christ, that's you, okay? For a lot of us, we because we were once identified by these things, We had no inheritance, but Christ has made us new. So, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There's those people who are disobeying Christ, not in a relationship with him. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now I want us to understand this. We've been called to let our light shine. So what does that mean exactly? To let that light shine. Well, is let the truth of God, the things that glorify God, radiate from us. And where that light lands, it lands, right? We have to understand that for a lot of us, there's the temptation that verse 7 talks about to become partners with them again in sin, to go and live a sinful lifestyle again. We have to understand that at one time you were darkness, Christian, but you've been called to do something else, 
Because now you are operating as light. That is your purpose, to walk as children of light and to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So part of this being light, letting your light shine, is first of all, well, I'd say this, it is doing what is pleasing to the Lord. Now there's a first step to that, which he gives us here, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, right? We have to discern it. We have to come to understand it. For a lot of us, and for me, for a long time, and I've not got it figured out perfectly yet, but for a lot of us, if we were to sit down and say, well, how do you aim to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord? I'm afraid that a lot of Christians today wouldn't have an answer. We don't have a means of figuring out, well, what can I do that pleases the Lord? But there is a way in which it's, it's not a secret, right? He actually has revealed what pleases him, and he has done that where? In his word, right? He has revealed it in his word. He has given us his laws and commands that say, this is how I want you to live. And you're going to say, well, which laws and commands? And that is the next sermon, but that'll be after Christmas, okay? So which laws and commands? We'll get there. But we need to be willing to do what we can to discern what the will of the Lord is. For a lot of us, we are living lives and doing things that we don't even realize are displeasing to the Lord because as Christians, we've not actually sat down in his word and looked and said, well, how does he want me to live now? We boil it down to some basics, which is good. Actually, Jesus boils it down to basics. And what does he say those two things are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he goes to great lengths in his word to explain what those two things are, to give us examples of what those things look like. So first of all, are you willing to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? But secondly, in verse 11, it's not just discerning and knowing, because knowledge is good, right? But if we have knowledge but no action, that knowledge is worthless. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Okay? So that's applying our discerning of what knowledge is, right? Of what is pleasing to God. We see what God wants us to do, and then we say, I'm not going to do those things that he doesn't want me to do. But see here at the end of verse 11, and this is hard for some of us, and for some of us it's actually too, too easy, but instead expose them. What do you mean expose them? To expose something is to um, make it known, to make it seen, right? One way to put that is to be to shine a light on it. To shine a light on it. See, he says that it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. There are things as Christians that we talk about, that we watch and, and, and do, and, and that we, we talk about and even joke about, and even though we're not approving of it, we're still going to joke about it. And he says it's shameful to speak of those things. But he says this in 13, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. See, people don't see. They don't see. They don't know what's pleasing to the Lord. They've not discerned it because they can't, because they're in darkness. But he, calls, he tells us to, to do two things. Take no part in the works of darkness, but to expose them. So our job, church, is to do two things. To live in such a way that people look at us, and that that living is that light. And they say, why is this person this way? Why are they loving in this way? Why don't they do these things? Why do they choose to do these things and spend their time doing that? And by doing that, by the way that we positively live, by the positive doing of God's commands, 
we cause people to see, we shine a light on it. And they, because of that light, they look at themselves and they say, wow, what's different here? And because of how we live, it may be what leads someone to come to know who Jesus is. But the other side of it is to expose them, to expose those things. Now, in a moment, I'm going to explain where we go too far with that. But for some of us, we wouldn't even begin to try to expose sin. We would never, we couldn't even imagine, the only person you're probably willing to tell, tell your sin to and to expose the sin of is maybe your spouse. And sometimes it's out of anger and frustration. You're telling them, here's what you're doing that you shouldn't do and it makes me angry. But when's the last time that you loved someone enough to sit down with them and say, listen, what you're doing is going against God's law and it leads to death. That's exposing it. That's exposing sin. He finishes up by saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There's so much to go into right there. But it's pretty self-explanatory. We have a limited amount of time, whether Jesus comes back or we die. And with that time, we need to make the best use of it. And we do that by looking carefully how we walk, how we live. There's a wise way to do it and an unwise way to do it. But it's for the sake of God glorified. That's the whole purpose. He says that here. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So that's that, that, once again, the way you live will shine a light on the fact that there's something different about you. As you aim to fulfill God's commands, though you'll never do it perfectly on this earth, but they may see your good works, and what they end up doing is giving glory to their Father who is in heaven. We tell people directly with our words and indirectly through our living that we are making much of God that we're glorifying him. We're showing them how we as human beings were made and how they should be living. And hopefully, because of that, it leads to, pe- leads to people being saved. Because see, if we want pe- God to be glorified, if we want people to glorify him, the greatest way is for them to be glorifying him because of the fact that he has saved them. Church, is the way that you live lead people to glorify God because the way that you live leads them to see that they are sinners in need of a savior. For the believer this morning, I have a few questions for you, and then if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I have a couple questions for you, and then we'll be done. But for the Christian, for the one who says, I I follow Jesus, the question is this, do you actually, like a mirror, reflect Christ? And maybe that's too vague, right? Did you, last week, have you in the past week reflected Christ to people through the way that we live, through the way the gospel has changed us? And if you didn't, the question becomes this, will you this week? How, Christian, are you actually reflecting Christ? How is Christ reflected in your life? And are you trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord? Or do you just look at his word and say, that's really confusing. Um, I'm just going to be happy that uh, if I say I believe in Jesus, then I'm good. That's where so many of us quit, right? I know I've sinned. I know I've done bad things. I believe in Jesus. Yay. Okay, going to heaven. And there's so much more, that, that is the sum of it, but there's also so much more that flows out of it. But Christian, also, I need to ask you something. Have you been lifted up to give light? See, he talks about the idea of being lifted up. When you're lifted up, when you're made much of in this world, 
you should be giving off more light. There are so many people in this church who have been lifted up to places of worldly greatness because of the job you have. You have this platform where you've been lifted up because you're way up in your company, you're way up in the community, you're way up wherever. And as you go up, as you are lifted up, more light should be shining from you. Lloyd-Jones says that the whole world is to be our sphere of influence. Not just in our home do we take the cover off. Not just at church do we take the cover off to give light. But the whole world is to be our sphere of influence. To reduce it to anything less would be tantamount to restricting the power and authority and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are a reflective light. And we're not the source of light itself. But Christian, your job is to reflect who Jesus is. I can tell you one warning, and that's this, and we'll be done with you. We hear this idea of expose it, and for some of us, the idea of exposing someone's sin, going to them and saying, here's how you're sinning, here's how you're, you're giving evidence that you're not in Christ, and that you need to be. For some of you, that scares you so bad, because you think it's mean and hateful and whatever. But I can tell you from God's word, it's not. It's the most loving thing you can do. But unfortunately, Christian, there are some of us here who we see expose it, and we're like, yes. Fine, I've been waiting to see this, right? For us, our job is to reflect. As much or as little light as Jesus gives us, it's to reflect it. But for a lot of us, we see things like that, expose it, and we want to crank up the light, right? And light is good until it's too much. Light helps you see, but at a certain point, does the light become so bright that you can't see anymore? Yeah. Christian, sometimes, for whatever reason... We want to expose sin so badly in others. We want to take and say, well, those people, some people just won't even do anything with people's sin. They want to expose it. They want to talk to them about it, whatever. And we just grab the wheel and we, we yank it over and we overcorrect over here. And we'll do anything to expose other people's sin. That should scare us because if we're so concerned about exposing other people's sin, it may mean that we're scared about what our own sin is. But at the same time, if we're trying to bring light to a situation... To shine too much light on it causes someone to see as poorly as whenever there's total darkness. And how, far, how much is that in the situation God's put you in? I have no clue. But I hope that you'll pray and ask God for wisdom to show you how much light is enough to shine a light on the reality of God and his standards and his way and his gospel and that we'd not crank it up to where it's so much people are blinded and turned off from the gospel. But if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, what is your response to the true light of Jesus? That's my question. Is it joy? Because finally you see the reality of your sin, but you also see the reality of a Savior. Or is it frustration? Because you're being woken up to the fact that you have tried to build your life by doing this good deed, by giving money to this organization, maybe even the church, by... Um, being nice to people, which is good, but it's not the gospel, right? And there's all these things, and you've been trying to build your life, and all of a sudden that light shines on it, and that life that you're building, you see the cracks in it. And you see the blemishes in it, and you see that it's not going to stand up. Because you're feeling then frustration. Maybe it is. But I hope that you would ask God to help you see, because of that light he's giving you, truly that you should come to him, that he can save you. Because for you, if you pile up those good works, they're not going to save you. 
They won't. Listen to John 3, verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. For all of us, there was a time where we hated the light and would not come to the light because we didn't want our works to be exposed. But maybe that's what you need. Maybe you are starting to realize the Holy Spirit working in your heart that maybe your works need to be exposed. Because I can tell you something, they won't save you. We can build it up all we want. We can do... We can be taking uh, and making this great suit of fig leaves to try to cover ourselves in our sin like Adam and Eve did. And no matter what we sow together, no matter what we build, whenever the light of the gospel shines on it, it shows us that it will never be good enough. But Christ is. And to you, he gives the offer to come to him. And if you will come to him, if you will see that he is the true light, if you will believe in him and understand that he is the one who will save you from your sins, He will. He will not turn any away who come to him to say, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. Lord, as Christians, we need your help to be light. Lord, as Christians, we uh, need your help to know the right amount of light that we are to be giving off. Lord, help us to reflect you and who you are. Help us to glorify you as we do good works. May people see the way we live and say there's something different about that person. And may they come to us and ask, what is it? And Lord, for the person here who doesn't know you, Lord, would you draw them to yourself? Would you show them? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, by the words preached here today, would you shine a light to expose the truth? No matter what they build up to try to make themselves righteous, no matter what they put together, Only you can save. Only you can make them righteous. Only you can give them the right record and standing. And would you do that? And would you cause the person here who doesn't know you to come today and put their faith and trust in you? We pray this in Christ's name.